0: You know what? Today's message is probably one of the most frustrating messages I prepared for in a while. Honestly, I just got to be rock gut honest with you, because I know this. The people or the person that needs to hear this message probably won't hear it. And I'm talking about really hear it. They might sit and listen, or they might click off if you're watching online. You know why? Because of pride. We're too proud to hear messages that are going to be life changing. And one of my main statements today is pride is a faith killer. We are called to faithfulness, but pride will destroy that calling. I want to welcome you and thanks for joining us online. Thanks for Uh, trudging with us through this pandemic and beyond. And I want to invite you personally to come back and start coming back to church. God is doing something. It's awesome to be together. We're grateful that you're watching online, but please make a a decision to come at least once a month to get started, to get the church back to where it's supposed to be. We want to love you and we've been loving you online and we want to love you and hug you uh, correctly when you get back because we are on a mission from God To love people one person at a time. That's the call that we've received from the Bible and we want to do that. And so hopefully you'll start coming back through the summer and then we'll get back to some normalcy in the fall because God is moving powerfully within us. So here's the main topic and I hope I annoy you by the end and hopefully you won't click off. But pride is a faith killer. I've been praying all week. I start thinking about a message Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday. I start putting stuff down and I've been praying about pride, that it would be an impactful message, that it would really touch someone or break someone down. Like the walls of Jericho in their life would drop and there would be great victory. The chaos would flee and God's victory would rise up. Messages like today Just dealing with pride, not because the message or the words that I say might be life-changing, but the words God says can be life-altering, changing. I'm an optimistic person, but what's happened, after I've talked over the last 10 or 12 years, maybe 30 or 40 times about pride, I used to go in going, man, everybody's going to hear a message of pride and we're all just going to get humble and get right with God. But over the years, it just goes right over people's heads. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking about clicking away and you're saying, well, I'm not really a prideful person, maybe you should stop and think. Because usually the person that says not me is the one that needs to hear the message. Just like many things in our life, I shouldn't go to church. Those are the days that you do go to church that you get the most out of it. So take a moment right where you're at. Take a moment and do this one thing for me. Say to yourself, Say to God, whoever's around you, I'm a prideful person. And as you get ready for this message, better yet, say this. I'm probably the most prideful person watching this message. If you make that statement and you're open to what God has to say, I promise you, you will hear something or receive something that will change you forever. I'm going to pause. And I want you just to pray, Lord, I'm open. Show me where I'm prideful. Make that statement and then I'll pray. Father, we stand open and ready for your words. We thank you for what you've given us. And we ask that you break down the walls of Jericho, walls of pride, selfish, self-centeredness in our lives so that we can truly be a vessel of you and your kingdom. Show us ways that we can become stronger in our faith. Show us ways that we can be more faithful in this world that is walking away from you. Father, use these texts and this time so that we can know how to become more faithful and less prideful. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm thanks that I'm thankful that you're open. And now let's see what God has for us. The message today is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. But let me open up with Proverbs 16:5. We're going to turn to our Bible in just a minute to Deuteronomy 8. So get to that place. But here's what Proverbs 16:5 says: it says, The Lord detests the proud, and they will surely be punished. The Lord detests pride. Listen to some of the other translations. The ESV says everyone who is proud in heart is detestable or one says it's an abomination. Do you believe that your pride and your selfish, self-centered ways are detestable to God? It's an abomination. We hear other sins like that. We see murder. Oh, that's a detestable. Uh, It's an abomination. How about rape, molestation? Those are abomination. We hear sin as certain uh, framed as an abomination or detestable. But do you categorize the sin of pride as that? This is something God detests. It's an abomination. He's turning and saying, I can't be around this. This is one of the worst things. And we know because pride is the origin of sin. This is one of the things he cannot be around. He detests. It's an abomination. Do you see the sin of pride? Pride. As an issue, it's a faith killer. Pride is killing all of the good people in this world because they're not truly experiencing God for who he really is. For us to really make an impact in the world and change the the the, the, the inners of who I am, I need to take pride very seriously. You know, I could tell you the truth about pastors, pastors in general have pride we, we just do we're in front of groups of people and people tell you how good things are and they're always patting you on the back and it just fills yourself with pride and I've struggled with pride you get into pastoral conferences and we all want to show how good we are and so they're like what's the size of your church or how many services do you have what kind of building do you guys have you know and we start measuring ourselves because it's prideful Churches aren't any different than any other business. We are trying to show the world how big our little kingdom really is. And that's not a healthy place. And so a church has to continue to humble itself to truly be right with God. Pride is a serious issue. If I told you I struggled with pride, you'd probably go, yeah, Jeff, you're pretty open. We we, we think that's true. I do a little bit as well. But it's, it's not that serious. Let me give you another example. What happens if I told you, man, I am struggling with lust? I'm lusting for a lot of people in Ventura County and in the church. And, and, and truly, it's causing me to watch pornography. As soon as I say that, oh, Jeff, that's detestable. That's an abomination. And you know what would happen if I came and confessed that was my issue? You know what would happen? The, the the board and the other pastors would grab me and gracefully pray for me. And in a week or two, I'd be off the pulpit and I would probably never come back to the church again. I might be able to, you know, recover and go to another church, maybe a lot smaller and preach a message again, but I'll never get back to that place because everybody's like, that guy's a luster and it's detestable. But that's just so wrong. Because... Pride is even bigger. You know, I've been in ministry for 15 years now, going on 16 pretty quickly. And I've seen in Ventura County, 50 or 60 pastors that have fallen because of lust and sexual misconduct. Hundreds, hundreds, maybe on the closer end of thousands by, uh, in the United States that have fallen because of sexual lust, pornography, adultery, or whatever. And you know what? I've only seen one, one pastor removed from pride. And truthfully, I could tell you seven that are on the radio right now that I hear constantly that should have their counsel come to them and say, hey, what you're saying seems to be a little bit much. We listen to people and think pride is okay. This is a serious sin. It needs to get through to us. The church can't stand on pride, and everybody's like, "It's okay because he's he's got the authority or the word of God." That's not a healthy way to be. Pride is a, a pride is a faithful killer, and if it's not taken seriously, it will disrupt and change the course of the church and the course of your call to faithfulness. Satan's amazing; he's blinded us to make us feel like, "Ah, oh, pride's not that big a deal. It's not a big sin, but it really is." Today, we talk about self-esteem and, you know, building each other up and, you know, trying to make sure that we're getting the most out of it. It's one of my gifts. And the truth is, when we start thinking like that, it's selfish and self-centered. And it's really not the message that we should be preaching from the pulpit. So as I said, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses wrote this book. It's revisiting the law to this new generation that's going to walk into this promised land. I want to start with verse 6. I just want to open up the text and read for a moment. And just see what God says. This kind of just is is setting us up for what God has for us. He says this. So obey the commands of the Lord, your God, by walking in his ways and fearing him. Obey has been a theme all year for the Lord. Your God is bringing you into good uh, into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, fountains and springs that gush out into the valleys and hills. The beginning part of God's blessing as they enter the promised land is water. Why? Water's a necessity of life. And he's showing you this land is full of water. And because of that, it gushes with other things. It's the land of wheat and barley because of water of grapevine fig trees and pomegranates because of water, of olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and, and not, nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as a stone and copper is as abundant in the hills. And verse 10 is the one that spoke to me this week. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. These first few, first few verses in chapter six are really just showing us what life is when we are obedient to God. We live in the promises and he takes us into our promised land. We see it as the Israelites are moving into their promised land. The verse that really stood out to me was I did a little bit of studying and I saw a pastor talk about his uncle when he was a young boy, how his uncle used to pray for the food. He said this, that my uncle taught me when I was like 10 or 11 years old that we are to give thanks for the food as we're getting ready to eat it. But verse 10 also says that we should then be thankful and give a prayer of thanksgiving after we're filled because of what God has done for us. Give thanks and then be thankful. I mean, think about that. If we learned to give thanks every time we ate and then we're thankful after we were filled, we would live in God's promises. And I promise you, this would be a pride killer. Because we are living in an attitude of gratitude, thankful for everything that God is giving. Sometimes we struggle just to say a three-second prayer before the meal, but now adding another prayer and saying, thank you, God, for what you've done for us. That mindset will start to kill your pride. I want to talk a little bit about a Christian life timeline. And I actually missed a word in this, but you'll see where it comes in. Here's what happens selfishness, or I would call sin, sin and selfishness go hand in hand. Sin and self-centeredness go hand in hand. You start apart from God, all of us, because we are sinners. So we go from this selfish mindset to saved. And then from saved, we become a servant, and hopefully we can make it to sainthood. But what happens here is most of us or the prideful part of us become self-righteous. And I'll give you that definition in a moment. But here's what happens. And and, and we're going to get into this warning. When we get our life changed and we're saved by God, we become a servant or should become a servant. And ultimately live a saintly life, a better life than a sinner. But too often it kind of morphs into something else, something we call self-righteous. We are to be called the light of the world. And I've got a little light to represent it. We are to be called the light of the world. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We are called to be the light of the world, but not illuminating me. We are to be illuminating Christ. We are called to be the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12, look it up. The question is, after I'm saved and I've got my little light, over time, I've got to quit shining on me and I've got to find the cross and I've got to shine the cross. We take the cross and we take the picture of the cross and the image of the cross and we start to shine it on Christ. This is the way that we shine our light of the world. It's not about me and who I am. It's all about who Christ is. I've got to have this type of posture Otherwise, I'm in pride. And all of a sudden, over time, my ministry, my life, my marriage, my kids are all about me. That's called self-righteousness. It's about the cross. It's about the kingdom. It's about Christ. That's what my light is to illuminate. Here's what verse 11 says. But that is the time to be careful. Now we're into this place of warning. Beware. Stop. Hold up for a moment. After you received all of this, this is a time to be careful. uh, The second part says, beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, decrees that I'm giving you today. Moses is waving the white flag saying, you're going to get into this beautiful place, but stop. Stop. Think and listen. Remember, obey. I'm giving you rules and decrees. And one day you're going to be in this promised land. And don't forget where it all came from. Verse 12. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in. And when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else. Be careful. Why? Be careful because Pride slips in and it changes us. It destroys everything that is good within us. When we are saved, we become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. We become the essence of God. God looks at it and says, finally, Jeff, you have become my child, the righteousness of me. And he's excited. But as we grow in our faith and as we grow in uh, in our ways with God, what happens is we we, we start to acquire more things, the blessings from above, James says, but we become then self-righteous at points. You see people get stuck in their ways. Christianity, after several years of Christianity, we turn into what we call Pharisees. Our ministries and our mindsets are like the Pharisees. Well, look at me and I'm pious and I have these flowing robes and this mindset and stickers on my car and my Bible that's been worn out. And all of a sudden, it's no longer about God. I'm taking this light. And I'm shining it on me. And it's like, look at me. Look at what I'm doing with the word. Look at how my life is. Aren't you guys wanting to see what I'm doing? And all of a sudden, we need YouTube pages and TikTok. And we need all these things to illuminate us. And we're forgetting to illuminate God. This is a warning. Because all of us can fall victim to pride. Be careful. Pride is the downfall to all man. No one. Christian or non-Christian are saved from pride. It's a it, it's the origin of sin. Let's talk about this concept of self-righteousness. We are trying to be saintly, but what happens is we become accidental Pharisees. My buddy Larry, uh, that does some coaching with us, wrote this book about becoming accidental Pharisees. Beware that we don't become Pharisees and are holier now. Self-righteous can be synonymous with the, the phrase holier than thou and mindset that basically i'm doing it better than you are but here's the definition what is a self-righteous person having or showing an attitude of someone who strongly believes in the rightness of their own actions or opinions his or her own actions or opinions this isn't just a guy thing you females and teenagers and kids can have this mindset too Having this opinion that I know better than you. That's called pride. And that's completely opposite of what God is teaching us. One of the most humble writers in the book of of the Bible is the Apostle Paul. He is constantly breaking himself down. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 tells us how we're supposed to act. It's really kind of a testimony. Ephesians is written to us to show us, uh, to equip us really to become saints. It's it's one of those books when we read it, when we go through it, and we haven't done it at our church yet, but it's really an equipping thing. At the end, I'm to be battle tested in a warrior with this suit of armor. And I really start to fight the battles the way that God wants me to. But here's what Paul writes. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, humbly saying it's not about me. He says, he graciously, God graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles, about the endless treasures available to them in christ he's saying look at if you are obedient to the decrees and regulations as moses wrote in deuteronomy you will receive the promises of god you will be in a better place a, a land flowing with milk and honey of sorts to in today's age but listen it's through christ that they come you illuminate christ it's not about illuminating myself This whole thing is, what am I illuminating? If I'm illuminating myself and what I'm doing, that's missing out. I need to illuminate God and what God is doing, and I need to get the light off of me. That will really save me. So what do we do to illuminate? We need to humble and obey. That kills pride, and that's what we're trying to do. If pride is a faith killer, all I can do to offset that is be humble and obey. The light begins when I receive Christ, I receive this little light of mine and I and I'm going to let it shine. But what happens is over time, if I'm not careful and that's what Moses writes, if you're not careful, the light's going to shine and it's all going to be about you. My life is not the Jeff show. This whole me preaching to you is not about Jeff. It's a Christ show. Yeah, I'm up here and I'm teaching. But really, if I'm right with God and my motives are pure, it's really about pointing to him and not anything that I have done. Because apart from God, I'm just a criminal. I should be locked up. You wouldn't want to be with me if you lived with me apart from God. Nobody else did. Why would you? Here's verse 14, and this is really the prideful statement. It says, Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Now, after this whole struggle, 40 years have gone, God has rescued them, and they have done amazing miracles with the Red Sea and water coming out of a rock and manna from heaven and, you know, just fire by night and clouds by day to follow. I mean, they've seen more than, you know, uh, many of us will in a lifetime or generations of lifetimes. And now he's saying, don't forget what's happened. God is alive and moving, and we need to do the same thing. Pride says to God... I'm more important than you. Pride says to God, I want it my way. Pride says to God, God, your plan is not as worthy as my plan. And we take the glory, honor, and praise. And the truth is God needs to take the glory, glory, honor, and praise. Pride hijacks our faith and makes it about ourselves. Good, honest, wholesome Christians get hijacked by pride. I see it all the time. People come into church and they get right with God, their life changes and they get the girlfriend back or they get the ministry, that that elder position or they become on staff or they get something because God wants to give it to them and instantly pride and their ways take them right out of church and destroys every good thing that comes from above. You remember in the fall when we went through 1 Peter, it says this and you've heard it. This is a very common verse. We see it all the time. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you've never heard that, let me break it down. God detests the proud. It's an abomination. He turns his back and says, I can't be a part of it. He opposes it, but he gives grace to the humble, those that are lowly, those that realize they need a savior that look up and say, God, I know I don't deserve it, but you deserve the praise. God opposes those prideful people but he gives grace. But here's the question that we read. And, and if we were just studying this verse, the question would be, do you want God's opposition or you, do you want God's grace? If you want his opposition, just get your puffy self out there and your chest out there and you will get the opposition of God. But if you want his grace, man, you've got to get down on your knees. You've got to pray. You've got to turn it over. You've got to let go and let God. If grace is what you want, you've got to learn to lay, lay aside your pride. You've got to say, Lord, I'm open right now. Help me break down these walls of Jericho, these prideful walls, this fortress of pride so that I can live in the glory of your love and mercy. We've heard this several times that pride is the root of sin. That's not new, but pride gives us the audacity to disobey a loving God, a wise God who sent his son so that you and I may have life. A life full of God's grace. And do you realize that God's grace is enough? We don't need anything more than God's grace, because that grace gets us to a place that only God can get us to. That's eternity with Him. And it works so powerfully within us. Pride wrecks havoc on our spiritual life. So we must then declare war on pride or we will fall into sin into a place of enmity, which means hostility between God and myself. Do you want to continue battling the God of the universe? You're just one person in this world that God has created and you're putting yourself in the middle of a battle with God. It makes no sense. But Satan, Satan has fooled us. And made us feel like pride's not that big a deal. This evil one or Lucifer, whatever you like to call him, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We say that a lot at church because it's true. He wants to take what you think is good and destroy it and make fun of you after it and destroy you as a human being and destroy your relationship with God. Because pride is a faith killer and Satan was full of pride. That's why he fell from heaven. And that's why he was cast down on this earth. And that's why he makes pride not that big a deal. How do we know if we're dealing with pride? I got a little bit of a list on there, a list of prideful indicators. Think of yourself. Think of, you know, your your mindset as we go through them. Uh, Here's one of them. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is just a small little test sample to see if you really have pride. The first one says frequently putting all the attention on yourself. Are you constantly worried about yourself and frequently putting your attention? Oh, look at me. I'm over here. Look at what I'm wearing. Look at how my hair, look at my tattoos, look at whatever's going on. I need the attention. When you need the attention, that says something to where your motives are. The second one says struggling to empathize with the sorrows of others. I don't know about you, but 2020, that was a poop show. We didn't sympathize with anybody. We didn't have sorrow for much. We got divided politically and the church got destroyed or in in, in some answers, some churches closed. The truth is, that's a prideful mindset. Are we empathizing with the sorrows of others, those that are hurting, those that are struggling? That's Christianity. Here's the third one. Feeling self-pity when you are not praised. Do you realize this? Pride is just not like, look at me, I hit a home run. Look at me, I made a million dollars. Look at me, I'm driving a Lamborghini. It's also like, look at me, I'm awful. Look at me, I'm struggling. Look at me, I'm not getting all the good stuff. That's still a selfish mindset. That's still prideful. There's two different sides. One person is in chaos and and maybe homeless or destitute and not getting what they want. And they're still saying, look at me. Poorful, poor, poor pity me that's pride the fourth one says constantly considering considering what others think of you that's called egocentrism you walk into the room and think everybody's watching you you walk around and think everybody's thinking about you that's no way to live because the truth is nobody is that's your own head and that's satan giving you a lie the number, the, five, the fifth one said, avoiding people who are better than you. No, I don't want to go over to their house. They they always have so much money and they got all these nice things. I don't want to go there. No, I don't want to go hang out with them. They always got better stories. They got a better life. They got a better cell phone. Whatever it is, when we don't want to hang out with other people, it hurts us. And finally, this is the last one. Easily finding flaws in others. This is where pastors on the radio, on TV, on the internet, when they're calling out other people by name and finding flaws and criticizing and judging, that's prideful. The Bible talks us to about judging, but some people go, no, it says that I'm your brother's keeper. And if I, if you're a Christian, I can, that's not true. That's prideful because you think you're in a pious position, a self-righteous position, because you've read the Bible more than I have. And you have the right to come in and tell me that I'm a sinner or I'm, I'm doing it wrong. Criticizing and judging and finding flaws is prideful. You know, Jeff Barnett, uh, one of our pastors was talking, he's like, we've talked about pride a lot this year. And as I look back and I looked at the, the line of, uh, the lineup that we've done, we've talked about it four times. We even did a series that was really just kind of breaking down the vanity concept, but it's because we've had a tough year. And pride is destroying the faith of people in the church. And the church needs to rise up. And we need to break those prideful walls of Jericho so that we can get into this promised land that God has for us. Here's what verse 15 says. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you manna from the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. God did a bunch of trials in the desert to test them and to humble them so pride wouldn't destroy them. It says, verse 17, he did all of this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth on my own strength and energy because he knew Pride is a faith killer. It destroys all the faithfulness we have in our life. At some point we wake up and you got a nice car. You got that perfect spouse or relationship and you've got these good things. And if you're not giving God the glory and and telling him, I got this because because he loves me, you're missing out. And faith is being destroyed because you're prideful. And he says, don't act like you're getting all of this because of who you are. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about verse uh, chapter nine. And you're going to see it's not because we're good that God gives us good things. In chapter eight, at the very beginning, it says this. And I just I I love this verse. And I just wanted to bring it in. It's kind of in the same genre here. It says in, in, in chapter eight, verse four and five, it says, for these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. And so here's the thing, after all that they've gone through for 40 years, they're now getting ready to enter this new land, but nothing in their lives wore out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They didn't get blisters. They weren't struggling because of the hot desert. They were actually taken care of because God loved them. He provided food for them. He provided shelter for them. He provided a godly relationship. They knew exactly where they were going to go by night, a fire, by day, a cloud. He said, think about it. And then he says this, just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord, your God disciplines you for your own good. The desert was a disciplined place to break down the people because of their pride and and their unwillingness to follow God's commands. The Israelites are being warned and Christians too are being warned. Reminds me of last week's message. Remember, learn, and don't forget. Remember, learn, be obedient and don't forget because pride kills our faith. We must not let the promises of God lead us into a prideful place because that prideful place leads us into a sinful place, a selfish place. And it destroys all the good things that God has done. You ever see someone get to that pinnacle? A pastor gets to a large congregation or a person becomes an elder or some someone becomes a, a, a minister in their church and instantly the devil attacks and they fall because of pride. We can't let those promises and those blessings that we receive from heaven take us to a prideful place because that's where sin creeps in and the selfishness destroys all the good things that God has for us. Now, if we jump ahead one chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 4 to 6, I love this part, and I thought it was important as we're talking about pride to bring this in because Deuteronomy 8 and 9 have this prideful tone. Here's what it says, chapter 9, verse 4. After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given this land because we are such good people. I'm not in the place that I am uh, in my ministry because I'm a good person 24-7. I've got sin just like everybody else. I have to constantly humble and, and find God's grace. I need my brethren and my, 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 my the, the women in my life to help me become a better person. It says, no, it's because of the wickedness of the other nations that he's pushing them out of their way, out of your way. It's not because you're good. It's because they're even worse than you. Verse five, it says, it's not because you are so good or you have such integrity that you're about to occupy this promised land that you're going to receive this land of milk and honey. And you're going to receive these new homes and a land full of abundance of copper. No, it's something else. It says, the Lord, your God will drive out these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness, because they're evil. And to fulfill an oath, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's really fulfilling an oath. It's not because the, the chosen Israelites are so much better than everybody in the world. No, the last verse will show or the, it'll tell you. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you um, this good land because you are good for you're not. He says, you're stubborn people. And today, that message is stronger than ever. We are stubborn people. America is stubborn. California is stubborn. Ventura County is stubborn. Your household and my household, we are stubborn. And we are becoming pharisaical or a Pharisee of sorts, and we're missing out on what God is trying to tell us. I watched a message with Francis Chan uh, uh, several years ago, and he did this image, and I'm going to do it for us today. Uh I'm going to make a clay figure just like God we're, we're made in his image. And this is going to be my image. And I know you're not going to be able to see it very well, but I'm going to make this image. And this is an image of man. Now, now think about this for a second. I got my little man and I've created, I'm the creator. That's the created. What right does this person have of me to say anything to me? What right do they have? I just gave them life. I just gave them the breath of life. I just made them out of my pocket. And now what right does this little figure, this little created man, woman, or child have from me? Do they really have any right? Really nothing. Why should they be able to make demands and claims? I gave them life. I created them. A few minutes ago, they were just melting in my pocket. What right do they have? Yet this little man... And this is an image of us as a stubborn person, demands from me, complains to me, questions me, challenges me, says, I don't know what I'm doing and that I'm evil, but I'm the one that created him. And I have a better idea because I know where this little man's going because I have a plan for the man. And that's exactly what God is to us. This shows us how prideful and stubborn we are. We are this man and we have no rights. We have no agenda. We should have no opinion, no rules or rule changes or ways. We should just be humble and look at God and say, from this position, it's not about me, God, it's about you. You made me. And the truth is, it's completely the opposite. We get to this place of the little man and we try and get this big light and we try and shine our light on ourselves. And we're missing out. We should be shining it on the creator, not the created. Too often it's all about the creator or the created, sorry. And it should be signed on the creator. And trust me, I'm not God. And I'm not trying to say I'm God. I'm trying to give you an image. We should put our light on the creator, not on the thing that's created. And because of that, we're stubborn people. Let me close with this one verse, and then I got I, I, or this one saying, and I got this two two verses left. Here's what it says: You guys all know Jay Vernon McGee, you know the Bible bus go through the Bible in five years. He's he's on the radio. He's passed away, you know, twenty some thirty years ago, but he still got this powerful ministry. And he's got this really funny voice and I'm going to do my accent. And as I was practicing, it reminded me of Jeremy's goofy accents, trying to be some, some country, country farmer. But here's what Vernon McGee sounds like in my head. He says, this is God's universe and God does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. I mean it's so classic here's the thing man has his his own way and he thinks he's the universe but the truth is you don't have a universe so you don't really have a way this is God's universe and God's doing it his way and that's why we should submit and say you're right God I should just sit back and 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 live in your glory and watch you guide me through my life here's what verse 18 says Remember that the Lord, your God, he is the one that gives you the power to be successful. He's the one that's formed you and made you and gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant. He confirmed with you and and the ancestors uh, with an oath. God is giving you the opportunity To help and change you. Here's what it says in Psalms 25.9. He guides you. He guides the humble in a way what's right. And teaches them what to do. God's job is to guide this person. But if this person's on its own. He's going to fall off that prideful cliff. And miss out on what God is trying to do. You know. This is the closing moment of the message. And I've been praying for this all week. And there's this, uh, there's this kind of phrase that I've been having in my head. And it says, never let your pride stop God from doing something that you desperately need to happen. Never let your pride stop you, stop God from doing something that you need desperately to happen in your life. I'm talking about healing. I'm talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about overcoming. When we have pride in our life, we don't allow God to fully heal us because we hold on to some of the things that are so deep or some of the things that we're embarrassed. Or we don't allow forgiveness because we're like, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm too stubborn. I'm too prideful. Or I'm not going to ever overcome that addiction or that behavior or that sin because I'll never break myself down to experience the glory of God. And that's why I said this message can be super frustrating to me because now's the moment to give it all up as God's little created, to turn it over to the creator and trust that he's got a better plan than you do. Let's just pray, repent, and watch God move. Father, we love you. We are so grateful that you are our creator. Lord, we submit to you, we obey you, we turn over all these things. Break us down, Lord, so that the pride will be riddled, that the walls of Jericho, the prideful life, will be broken. We shout for joy and ask for your glory and grace to rise up in us. Show us how to live and show us how to how to move in your kingdom for your glory, Lord. And if you're here today and you're just watching or you're tuning in and you need a new start or a new life and you are distant, separated and not with God, I ask you if that's you. Holy Spirit, Mold this person into a child of God. If you're watching, I pray that you just say a simple prayer of salvation and invite God into your heart. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved and you will be a child of God. Repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died upon the cross so that I may live. You rose again so that I may live with you in eternity. Holy Spirit, take over my life and help me honor you all the days of my life, Lord. It's not about me, it's about you. Help me live for your kingdom now until I meet you in heaven. We love you, Lord. Amen.